The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, episode 132. At the end of the episode, we will have chapters from Beyond Brightside, which is right over there. Um, so chapters eight and nine on that. But first, no special guest, but I am coming to you from Germany. Tired as hell, but also incredibly motivated, incredibly happy. Uh, it's been such a good trip. Definitely has had obstacles, uh, but whatever. I'm not, uh, I didn't get dissuaded by any of them. Didn't get put down. I didn't get discouraged. Uh, everything has been awesome. So let's get to it. Uh, first off, flew in Sunday, um, left or left California Saturday, Saturday afternoon. Fucking plane ride sucked. They made me take off my try not to die mask. That was the first bad thing. Put on one of those shitty white ones. Uh, could not, well, it was difficult to breathe in it, but it made my ears like this, uh, sticking out like a little monkey. That kind of sucked. Couldn't sleep. I probably got a couple hours of sleep. Then I arrived in Frankfurt and it was cold and I was tired. That was like Sunday at like 11. I take a taxi. My hotel cannot check in early. So I wait three hours in the cold. I'm sure I could have waited inside, but I went and walked to a park and uh, did. I just worked for like three hours. I was super tired, but um, managed to get in some good work on the Wild West, trying to die in the Wild West. After that, I, what else? As soon as that happened, um, oh, so I checked in, couldn't sleep. Uh, (laughs) I finally fell asleep. I don't know, maybe maybe like nine o'clock, but then I woke up at 12, uh, just couldn't go back to sleep. Took me a long time. Then I woke back up at three, um, same thing. So that was a little bit rough, uh, but Monday was super cool because I took a train to see my, I don't know if we're even, how exactly we're related. I'm just gonna call my cousin, Marco. Uh, Marco Tullius, who was on here before. Um, so he met me at the airport after, I mean, at the train station after I missed one of my trains, which sucked. Um, but he was super cool. Uh, he gave me an awesome music lesson. He just showed me so much, explained music in such a better way. So when I get back, I'm definitely going to start uh, doing um, uh, weekly lessons with him remote. Um, and if you want to check out that episode, I don't know the number, but just type in Marco Tullius and you will see it. Uh, but yeah, very talented musician. It was super cool to see what he could do. The other cool thing about that was, um, I went to his parents' house and I met both of his parents and they were awesome. Just incredibly nice people. Uh, we had pizza from one of their friends who owns a restaurant. Uh, it was excellent. Um, I was able to practice some of my German because they both speak, uh, they don't speak very much English. And so it was a great experience for me to try using some German, uh, learn a little bit, just get a little bit more comfortable. Um, so that was awesome. Uh, train ride home sucked a little bit. I think I missed another train. I can't even remember. It's been a long couple of days. Um, the next day, uh, again, didn't sleep well, but it was really cool. I took a train to Dusseldorf. Uh, well, actually to uh, Drakenfels, uh, which is Koenigswinter. Konigswinter is the name of the city. Uh, so that's where I took the train to. I met uh, my co-author Nico and his brother Lucas. Uh, Lucas has the Creative Cast podcast. Uh, I was on his podcast. He was on mine. Uh, because of that podcast, like it's so cool what can happen with a podcast. Like he was my guest. We we're just talking. 
I mentioned trying not to die. He said his brother writes. And then the next thing you know, here we are four months later. I'm in Frankfurt checking out the place, the castle, Drakenfeldt's castle, um, that we're actually writing about in the book. And we're, he's already done such a good job. He's already got the start all finished. But it was so super cool to go around and see all the, like, where lots of the book takes place. Uh, and it was incredibly beautiful. I uh, learned a lot about the mythology. And that's going to be a big part of the book, too. Uh, and walking up to the castle, we had to actually go into the new castle, which was built in the 1800s. But we walked all the way up to the ruins. And that's an important part of the story. Uh, that's where lots of action is going to take place. But it's so cool because we're walking. The whole time we're walking, everywhere I look, I'm like, oh, there's a cool place to die. There's a cool place to die. Oh, they're going to get impaled here. And then Nico was also figuring out the same thing. He's like looking at everything along the path and just such a good experience to be able to do that and to do it with him. Plus, we had a lot of fun, really got along well with those guys, had a really nice, well, wasn't a nice dinner. It was a, it was a, a snack. I would I have a curry version. Uh, so that was good. But um, but it was awesome. It was a really good time. Took the train back. Uh, all together that day, there was about two hours of delays on the trains. And so I've been doing all this research into Germany, saw how like they love to be punctual and everything else. But then uh, all these train issues, I was like, uh, when I was asking people about it, they're like, yeah, we like to be punctual, but the train system is not. So yeah, there was, I mean, I know it wasn't due to them. I think it was weather and stuff. The weather sucked. Um, but again, that morning, it was rainy uh, when we went to the castle. We actually walked. My foot was in good enough shape that I was able to walk up the hill or whatever. And uh, yeah, and it was it was cool. So what else? What else? Oh, and so yeah, I'm all scatterbrained because, like I said, I haven't been getting much sleep. Part of that is due to me trying to be a really good dad because my son Jake does not want me to be here. In fact, he even said uh, like the week before my trip, I think I had a little cough. He's like, oh, is that COVID? I'm like, no. And he was kind of disappointed. And I asked him why. He's like, because if you got COVID, you wouldn't have to go to Germany. So um, I get it. He's eight. He doesn't uh, fully understand the consequences. But he does not want me to be gone. So as a compromise, I have been staying up until midnight. So I can call him when he gets home from school. And then I wake up at 530 like around 5.30, 5, today was 5.15, uh, to call him before he goes to bed. And uh, what else? Oh, and then I also have an alarm set for 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock, I have to call him because that's when he's waking up in the morning. And I've been talking to my daughter as well and my wife. Um, but he's the one that really wants to talk to me for one whole minute, sometimes two. Uh, today, we're going to do Zoom. That should be a lot better actually seeing each other so we can play around, uh, mess around a little bit. But... Um, yeah, so that's one reason why I'm a little bit tired. Uh, let's see. All right, now with the fair, let's talk about that. Lots of these exhibitors are disappointed, to say the least, because they've been doing this for years, and they were used to an incredibly big crowd. Um, there is, I think there's only about a third of the regular amount of exhibitors. Don't quote me on that. That's what I've heard. Uh, but it does seem like lots of places are empty. I know a lot of people canceled. Some people that I had... Um, meetings with weren't able to make it because of vaccination reasons or whatever else or their country so that's affected things and uh generally so i think past years they didn't have last year but in the previous years there was like two hundred eighty thousand visitors at this thing um the public is going to come in fairly fairly soon but the most that could even come 
uh, and I'm guessing it will be at its limit because of uh, regulations with COVID and stuff. And the government allowed them to open, but they could only have 25,000 visitors. So each day, and it's only going to be half of today, then all day Saturday, all day Sunday. So 75,000 max compared to 286 or 280, whatever. Uh, big difference. So, uh, yeah, lots of the exhibitors are, you know, bummed or whatever. But, man, I've been cool with it. Um, I had some great meetings on the first day, Wednesday, as well as yesterday. Uh, the U.S. General Counsel, uh, Mr. Norman, I think it's Norman, uh, Sharp, stopped by the booth yesterday, which was awesome. Uh, it was cool talking to him. He went to the University of Penn. Uh, so we're talking about Ivy League stuff for a little bit. I was trying to pretending I was smart. I was all dressed up. They think I even had my suit on. Well, actually, I didn't wear a suit yesterday. Wednesday, I wore a suit. Every day, I'm getting less and less. I'm like, fuck this. So tomorrow, I think I'm going to be showing up in my, um, I don't know, I might wear a polo instead of, uh, and, and jeans. And then Sunday, I'm just going with my Killers and King shirt. Like, fuck it. I don't care. Um, I am the boss. So I am my own boss. So I don't really need to worry too much about fashion. Fuck it. Uh, I'd rather be myself, more comfortable. Um, but yeah, no, it's been awesome. So the U.S. Embassy, their commercial service, whatever, they've been incredible. Uh, really super nice. Uh, they've introduced me to some people, had some great talks. Uh, I, able, I met with an agent who was pretty impressed with my stuff. So I went in there pretty confident and I feel good. I, I'm able to walk in. I have a, you know, I have a good backlist. I have the reviews and stuff now. Uh, you know, I'm not saying I'm a great author. I'm obviously not a very big author yet. I'm not well known, but I want that shit to change because I do think I have a good product. And that's what I'm discovering. Uh, even with German readers right here that I've had, I've just been sharing my stuff with them. Like they love it. So I think it should do well. This agent was very impressed. She thinks it can do incredibly well. Uh, she was also trying to guide me on the next book I'll write, um, which, I mean, great ideas. But because I have so much other shit going on with all the try not to dies and my other books, I was like, that won't, probably won't happen. But um, yeah, and it's just really cool, especially because I think because I'm just been kind of going with the flow. If something comes my way, I'll talk to them. Um, I was just happy to, I offered something to my neighbor today, an extra chair. I needed to get rid of a chair. It would have helped me. And they needed one. So I gave it to him and they just started an awesome conversation. And now he may be uh, buying my books for China and helping me, you know, get them into that market. And he's also a German publisher. And so he was really impressed with my books. And he also makes, um, his company also does uh, cards and stuff. So we're talking about the Try Not To Die uh, game, which comes with decks of cards. And so he might be hooking me up with that. So the context that I've made, it's just been awesome. Uh, this, that alone has all been worth it. Now I get to meet the public, uh, and which is awesome because I get all, to hand out all my free, uh, I have them in English and Auf English und Deutsch. Um, so I got those, they could scan them. Um, and also the, so that's for the TBI book and the, uh, or CTE. And then we also have the Morsels of Mayhem in English and in German. So, uh, and today is the start of my German newsletter too. So I just had my German newsletter translated. Uh, my buddy Miko, the co-author, um, he went over it to make sure it sounded good. Uh, so a real German would appreciate it and not be turned off by it because of my, like maybe I'm too dark. Um, 
And I also have a new friend that is reading as well. She's reading, she was starting to read the Beyond, uh, she was starting to read Bright Side in German, but I just gave her the English one because the other copy still had the errors that my proofreader hadn't fixed. That's a whole other story I still need to do. So I still need to clean up uh, Bright Side in German, which is kind of depressing, but it's my own fault for not doing it sooner, not hiring the right people. Uh, should have done better research on the first person that I hired. But now I have an excellent team uh, with these three individuals. I think I could put out great content. So that is what I am doing. Uh, another bad thing that happened was those flyers barely came in yesterday. I had to pay extra to get them. I've been dealing every morning with either emails or calls to the flyer store and UPS trying to figure out shit. Uh, but even with that, like a little stressor like that, the old me would have been super upset. I would have been angry. I would have, like it would have ruined my day probably. None of this stuff even phases me now. So part of that is just being focused and like just in a good mood. But again, all that stuff happened because of all the stuff I did with my brain. Um, I also want to thank uh, Alexandra, my hypnotist, because uh, if you haven't listened to that, that episode, please go and check that out. Uh, because my level of confidence, like that was one of the things we worked on with hypnosis. Uh, sky high and that had a lot to do with it i was super intimidated by coming here beforehand um i was overwhelmed by the whole thing i kind of didn't want to do it i wanted to fall through but i am so glad i did it so thank you to alexandra for helping me with that as well uh, there's probably a lot of other shit but man i'll catch you guys up later and you probably don't give a fuck maybe you're here for beyond bright side chapters eight and nine so that's right now hopefully you guys are digging it if you haven't listened to it yet you go back to earlier chapters or you can pick it up probably pretty cheap somewhere so i know it's on sale somewhere all right guys thanks for hanging out i appreciate it hope you have an incredible week and i will talk to you later peace chapter eight we left kevin locked up in the safe room Hands tied, mouth gagged. Turned out he was a screamer. The four of us had made ourselves comfortable in his living room, which wasn't much bigger than where we'd been. Becky was too far away to hear her thoughts. On a stool she pulled beside the long bay window, our self-imposed sentry's head hidden under the drapes. Sarah and I were on the couch, my left ankle propped two pillows high on the coffee table, ice bags packed in on either side of it. Plates clanked in the kitchen. Danny putting together our second dinner. The first round had consisted of two peanut butter sandwiches, five pickles, four turkey slices, and six ding-dongs. I thought the big screen TV had all of Sarah's attention, but her thought was for me. He's doing his best. You know it's not like that. Becky said, pause it. I thought she meant us, but Sarah knew she was talking about the video. The smiling face was Mark Wharton from Louisville, former soldier. There was no mention of a wife or kids. The cute little Yorkie snuggled in his arms, tugged at the heartstrings. Becky pulled back from the curtain and asked, You hear that? My first thought was football, the announcer blaring in a stadium. Sarah walked to the opposite side of the window and peeked out the drapes. I could move around with the morphine, but... Everyone kept telling me it wasn't a good idea and I should stay still. From the couch, I couldn't make out much more than someone mumbling over a loudspeaker. What's he saying? Becky held up her finger for silence. After a few seconds, she said, 
They're saying where to go if you want to become part of the secure solidarity system or turn in one of us. They're reminding everyone to cooperate with them to ensure their own safety. Danny set the platter of food next to my pillows. Half a bag of Cheetos, three crumb donuts, and a handful of saltines, he asked. They on our street? Sarah assured him they weren't. The SSS broadcast from cars. Sounds at least a few blocks away. Speaking to them both, I said, You don't think that's for us? There have been clips of this all over the news. Boots setting up camps in local parks. It's everywhere, at least throughout Southern California. I told Danny, See, it's not just us. They're everywhere. He looked at me like I was the idiot. That good? Sarah came back to the couch and thanked Danny for the food. When she hit play, the anchor man said, As I'm sure many of you have seen, there has been a rash of people protesting what they consider the unethical treatment of thought thieves. Instead of going into all the legitimate reasons for his decision to outlaw telepathy and hunt down murderers, your president directs you to watch this video. In his words, to win any battle, you must first know your enemy and what they're capable of. Like it finally sunk in, Danny sounded defeated when he said, We're the enemy. The anchorman said, And remember to obey any order given by a secure solidarity agent. We can correct this problem and become stronger as a nation if all honest citizens unite. We must come together. Take pride in your country and do your part. From behind the curtain, Becky said, Do we really need to keep watching this stuff? Danny reached for the remote that was beside my leg pillows. Yeah, put on something superhero. Go on Netflix. No, Sarah said, loud enough to make Danny pull back his hand like he'd been slapped. We've got to be prepared. Information is all we've got. The next segment began with a twenty-something blonde holding a red-cheeked baby boy. By the music, you could tell it was going to be another sad one. Sarah said she'd seen at least ten each a brief highlight on the hero whose light had been snuffed out too early. The woman sat in front of a piano, a row of family photos lined along the top of it. Her speech was clipped, her chin quivering, her hand constantly patting her boy's back. My husband was a good man, honest, thoughtful, caring, a proud father, and now he's gone. The camera zoomed in on the 8x10 over her shoulder, the young couple beaming over their newborn. The guy had a mustache and looked kind of familiar, but I couldn't place him. The murderer of my husband faced justice, and for that I am grateful, but not the madman who made him do it. The only person I could think of forcing someone to kill was Sharon, kind of like what she did with me but the video went to my Brightside travel bathroom, an angle I'd never seen it from, high and wide, the camera tucked away in a corner. And there I was, backed up to the sink, shotgun pointed at her clean-shaven husband, the newbie I'd run into at Robert's earlier that day. Becky gasped. Is that Wendell? Yep, that was him all 400 pounds pressed against the wall like a hippo hiding behind a haystack. The boot couldn't see Wendell, all his focus on me. The anchorman said, 
Agent Jacobson was responding to the helicopter crash that killed three of his co-workers, searching for Joe Nolan when he encountered him in this bathroom. The video played. The sound quality perfect, so everyone at home could hear Jacobson order me to put down the gun. Knowing he was going to fire, I followed his instructions and kicked the shotgun over. I told him, I just want to get out of here. Keeping his gun aimed at my chest, Jacobson grabbed his walkie-talkie, nearly dropped it. The video paused, and the anchorman said, The thought thief situation is much more dire than we feared. Although there have been countless cases of this happening around our country, this is the first time we've captured thought thief compulsion on camera. Of course, we can't hear it, but the thought thief in question verified that he'd been mind-controlled by Joseph Nolan, and that it wasn't the first time it happened. I can't remember exactly what I was thinking in the bathroom, but I didn't command Wendell to do my will. That's bullshit! They fucking shot him! The video played, and Wendell inched forward. Jacobson turned too late, Wendell smashing him into the paper towel dispenser, while I fought for the gun, and he tore at Wendell's face. Wendell brought Jacobson off his feet and slammed him down, the boot's head connecting with the rim of the sink, all fight gone, as he slumped to the floor. The camera zoomed in on Jacobson's face, the left side of his head bulging. The shot faded to black as all his info appeared, including a website accepting donations for his son. His wife came back with their boy, tears streaming down her cheeks. Do not feel sorry for these people, she pleaded. A photo of Wendell filled the screen, a huge black hole where a bullet had shattered his cheek, both eyes swollen shut. Hunt them down before they hurt someone else. Becky looked away too late. I wish I hadn't seen it either. Seeing Wendell dead removed the ridiculous hope that he'd somehow gotten away. The morphine had been keeping me on the edge of nausea, but right then, I had to rush to the bathroom. Sarah helped me to my feet and I limped down the hall, holding onto the wall for support. The others probably couldn't hear me, but I kept saying, I didn't do it. I didn't force him. I closed the bathroom door and sat on the toilet to take the weight off my ankle pulled the trash can over in case I got sick. Looking in the mirror helped a little. With a shaved head and darkened stubble, I looked less like that killer on the loose, the one who could control others with his mind. That's probably where lots of the hatred comes from. It wasn't just about keeping telepaths away so secrets would stay safe. It was the overblown fear of being manipulated or controlled by someone else. The ridiculousness of their claim didn't seem so crazy when I thought back to who I'd been. A salesman convincing people to buy cars they shouldn't, a scumbag seducing women to sleep with him who otherwise wouldn't, a magician who never revealed his trick. Maybe it wasn't Obi-Wan Kenobi-level mind control, but I couldn't pretend it was all bullshit. Once I felt like I could keep my food down, I hobbled to the sink and ran water over my head the cold clearing my mind. I was drying off when Becky yelled, It's no safer in here than out there. When I got to the living room, Becky was gone. Did she really go outside? Sarah was still on the couch, eyes focused on the screen, a rage boiling beneath. I told her not to. Danny pointed at the front door. She wants to see if the car is there. 
She shouldn't be out there by herself. As if I didn't get it, Sarah said, she shouldn't be out there at all. I limped to the front door. Well, if we're going to go out, we can at least do it together. Don't be stupid, Joe. You can barely walk. I didn't say screw you, but the thought slipped loud and clear as I changed direction for the dining room table. Sarah slammed the controller on the couch. It's not just you anymore. I grabbed the tape from our bag of medical supplies and sat down to wrap my ankle. No shit. Do what you want then, Sarah said, but only because that's what I was doing. Danny saw me struggling with the tape, realizing there was no way I could wrap it myself. He came over and said, I can do it. I handed over the roll and raised my ankle so it rested on the chair beside me. Thanks, but try to be careful. Danny tried, but the morphine had largely worn off, the ankle so tender as he wrapped it, front, back, and all around until he ran out. Too much? Feel solid. I gritted my teeth and forced myself to my feet. Way better than before, I said as I tucked the gun into my waistband, the handle hidden under my sling. Danny followed me to the front door and handed me Kevin's raincoat that had been hanging on the wall. Be careful. Always. I slipped on Kevin's sandals and Danny helped me with the coat. I told him, I'll be right back. The night was quiet. The street, dark except under the low-intensity streetlight at the corner. I stepped off the porch, my eyes squinting in anticipation of the motion detector. Becky startled me with her thought. I turned it off. She was sitting with her back to the oak a few feet away. I asked if I could join her. She got up and said, If you want. I had meant sitting next to her, but I understood the need to get out. The fresh air felt good, the night hiding the fact that it was filthy. Becky kept it slow so I could walk beside her. The car is this way. Nearly all of Kevin's neighbors had their lights on, but only a few had drapes drawn. How far? Huh? Oh, up here to the right a few blocks. There wasn't much else I could say, so I asked, You okay? She huffed, as if. What can I do? I can't be in there, Becky said. It's nothing personal, but I can't be around her. She's not that bad, I said. I mean, she means well. Hell, she saved my life. And you saved hers. Becky blew out a breath and said, It's not that. Other people's emotions make me sick. That's what happened when Wayne killed Sheila. It floored me, and they were on the other side of a wall. I'd never had anything like that happen to me. But I understood how we all experience things differently. Sounds awful. And being around Sarah is like standing next to a blaring fire alarm. Becky led us around the corner. She's a mess. I wasn't trying to hear Becky's thoughts, but it was clear there was something else. So what's up? I don't know. She sounded on the verge of tears, looked away so I'd stop staring. It won't help. Is it about Wendell? I'm sorry you had. Becky went back to watching where we were headed, her gaze well down the sidewalk. It's not that. Or at least, it's not all that. I never knew him that well. With ten years between us and different mothers, there wasn't a whole lot connecting us. But still, 
I know it sounds terrible, and I feel like shit about him, but I think I feel even worse about the others. The ones we left? Becky stopped and made me face her, a teenager drowning in despair. The ones we killed. I looked away. Don't do that, I told her. It won't help. That doctor? Nurse Jenny? Fuck who knows how many others. We all did some things we didn't want to. She waited until I faced her. Joe, I poisoned her. I looked her in the eyes and killed her along with all those others. And I blew a guy's head nearly all the way off. I keep seeing them, Becky said, the tears rolling. I keep hearing her say, let's roll. I turned Becky's head so she was looking at me, held her chin until she stopped blaming herself so loudly. I didn't want to kill anyone, but you know what? When those motherfuckers were about to shoot me but ended up splattered on the ground, I was happy it was them and not me. Yours weren't premeditated and in cold blood. The helicopter was. The blinds were raised on the house we were standing in front of. Come on, I told her, shuffling ahead in my sandals so she would follow. What's done is done and had to be done. We only go forward. Becky caught up and took hold of my free hand, a reassuring squeeze that she could be strong. Thanks for coming after me. Of course. We're in this together. We had just crossed the street when she said, The car is two blocks up. Two more steps, and she stopped. Kind of joking, I said. What? Afraid I won't make it? No, 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 she thought, squeezing my hand and directing me to look at the black town car blocking the next side street. Two boots stood in front of it, full protective gear over their windbreakers, submachine guns slung over their shoulders. I didn't think they'd seen us. Becky thought they did. We keep going. The tall one's going to stop us either way. We were at least 30 feet away from them, so I figured Becky was going off a hunch. No, they're stopping everyone. He's looking for a bonus. I hadn't considered how powerful her range might be, but was grateful for the warning. We kept forward, and she snuggled against me, taking some of the weight off my leg. I'm your girlfriend, remember? I thought Sarah was. A hundred thoughts flew through my head, the loudest being how I was dressed and how young Becky looked. Fuck, I don't think I'm ready for this. Too late. The taller of the boots said, Hey! So loud, we had to look. Halfway down the street behind him, there were several boot vehicles, two with their headlights lighting up a house. Becky stopped to face him and silently warned me, Don't look so suspicious. I would have laughed at her if my butthole wasn't puckered shut, trying to keep from shitting myself. The tall guy didn't look the least bit friendly when he asked, Where are you two headed? Becky didn't even seem phased. Actually sounded excited when she said, Del Norte? Best tacos in town. We're doing our best keeping it safe, but it'd be wise to get inside. Sorry, I didn't realize we shouldn't be out. The shorter one with the goatee said, Haven't watched the news? A loud pop echoed out behind them, then two more. I hoped it was a car backfiring, but some boot over the radio said, All clear. Threat neutralized. Becky's arm was wrapped around my waist probably the only thing keeping me from hobbling away as fast as I could. Real slow, like she was thinking it over, she turned us back the way we came from. 
We'll stick with delivery. I didn't have to hear their thoughts to know they were less likely to hurt an ass-kisser. I said, Thank you, officers. The tall one corrected me. Agents. I kept walking and said, Sorry, my bad. Hey, how'd you hurt your arm? I thought about pushing Becky to safety and going for my gun, even though there was no way I could hit them from that far. Becky thought, The war. Turn around and tell them. I pivoted toward him and motioned to my arm. Iraq, never use it again. Becky thought, Oh shit, he doesn't believe you. The boot started another question when this guy walking down our sidewalk said, Frank, what the hell are you two doing? I texted you to say we canceled our plans. I silently asked Becky if she knew him. Hopefully a friend. Speaking to the stranger, Becky said, Dang, I didn't see it. The guy, a light-skinned Hispanic with a dark flat top, looked like a fit 50-something. He nodded at the boots and sounded amused when he asked us, You didn't know about all this? She shook her head. Been in bed most of the day. What she was hinting at made me cringe on the inside. They're gonna arrest me for statutory rape. Becky ignored me and focused on the stranger who was waving us toward him. Come on, I'll drive you home. I'm right around the corner. The boot said, and who are you? The stranger squared up, perfect posture, nothing but authority when he asked the boot, where did you serve? The boot's chest puffed a little. Army. The stranger's face showed no emotion. Yeah, but where? The boot glanced at his partner before answering. Mostly Fort Irwin and Fort Hood. Anywhere people actually shot back at you? The boot didn't answer. You? The man came close to a smile. Well, I didn't get a purple heart for doing laundry. It just seems like they would have taught you some respect for your superior. The boot cleared his throat. I'm sorry, sir. I didn't know. That's all right. I'm glad we have dependable men watching over us. He pulled out a cigarette and took his time lighting it, his dark eyes never leaving the boot but I do believe I've proven I'm quite capable of taking care of myself and my friends. The boot nodded. Have a good night, sir. The vet nodded back, blew out a huge cloud of smoke. You too as well. Becky turned me in the right direction, and we followed the vet around the corner. He kept thinking, Stay silent, do not talk. Who are you? I'm Tone. But how do you know us? He flicked the lit cigarette to the gutter. The boots aren't the only ones looking for you. We were about halfway down the street, no longer able to see flashing lights, but I kept it quiet. The underground? Don't get too happy, son. There ain't much of us, and you can't count on me saving your ass again. There wasn't much to say about that. My thoughts turning to my ankle, wondering how much farther I could go how it was going to feel when the drugs wore off. At the end of the block, Tone checked both ways, then took us right. You'll need to watch your own backs. We made another right. I didn't realize it, but Becky thought, This is our street. Two doors south of Kevin's house, Tone pointed at the windowless white van parked next to us. This is me. I asked how long he'd been there. Off and on. 
Tone checked over his shoulder to make sure we hadn't been followed. I don't know what more I can tell you. They're after all of us, especially you four. If his house is safe, I suggest you don't leave it. It should be safe, unless the system gets compromised, or if they start checking families of everyone who'd been in Brightside. This guy lost a brother there. Stay low. If you do need to split, find me by the riverbed off Washington and Soto. Look for my van by the entrance. There's a community down there. Night 3. Chapter 9. The clock on the nightstand said ten after seven. Kevin's bed was king-sized, my torso and bum ankle propped up with his pillows. I had tried getting up a few times during the day, but didn't see the point. My entire body ached when the morphine wore off, and we were down to six syringes. If I stayed asleep, I was giving myself a chance to heal, as well as a break from the constant awfulness and fear. I sat up all the way with a long sigh, the smell of moldy bread hitting me hard. At first I thought it was my breath, because I'd only brushed with toothpaste on my finger, taking pride that even though I was able to kill innocent people, I drew the line at not using another man's toothbrush. The smell was all wrong, though. A putrid foulness coming from my shoulder. We'd been so caught up with everything else that we hadn't changed the bandages that were now yellowing around the edges. The walk the night before had been a bad idea. My ankle a hot throb when I lowered my feet off the bed. Becky had left me four Advils on the nightstand next to the water. I popped them, hoping they would ease the sting until I got my fix. Melvin's silver thirty-eight lay at the foot of the bed, Sarah keeping hold of Kevin's. The holster was too big even on the last hole, but my baggy sweats held it up. Danny's extra-tight tape job enabled me to walk, but didn't do shit for the pain. The hallway was empty, the safe room door closed. I headed left for the living room and froze at the loud boom, popped the holster strap. The happiest I'd heard him in a while, Danny said, Ha, got you. Danny was on the couch with Becky, each with an Xbox controller. He was still wearing the Giants jersey, but Becky had changed into black leggings and a baggy blue sweatshirt, I assumed was Kevin's. Becky gave me a weak smile and asked, How you feeling? Probably about as good as I look, I said, the cotton mouth so intense I could barely understand myself. Sarah sat at the dining room table, her hair down and disheveled, the ribbon gone. She changed into a white top, a black skirt that stopped right above the huge bruise on her shin she got saving my ass on the roof. She was holding the phone she had charging in the wall. Three full duffel bags were on top of the table beside the medical supply bag we'd restocked from Kevin's bathroom. She looked up from the phone and said, It keeps getting worse. I continued past her into the kitchen. How? They're going to kill us twice? I'm serious, Joe. Sarah stood in the doorway, dark circles under her eyes, paler than I remembered. This is so much bigger than Brightside. I filled a cup of water from the sink, figured it didn't matter that it wasn't filtered. I thought you didn't believe any of that. It's all the videos. People keep posting clips of neighbors being raided by the boots, but the footage disappears within minutes. I finished the water and took the vodka from the freezer. Same as what they did with all the videos Sharon released. Exactly. Sarah watched me take off the cap, pour an inch of vodka into the cup, then screw back the cap all one-handed. She asked, You think that's a good idea? 
I chugged it down, the fire in my throat making me take a second to speak. This isn't what's gonna kill me. Sarah crossed her arms. So what's the plan? We can't stay here. I rarely woke in a good mood back home, and right then, I was weak and groggy and getting irritated. You got somewhere better? I told you what Tone said. I left the vodka on the counter and opened the fridge. We lay low, don't leave until we have to. Well, I think we have to. Someone might spot us in the car. I pulled a package of ham from the middle drawer. Not to mention, I don't know where the hell we can go. I suppose we can vote on it, though. Sarah shook her head. You think their vote should count the same? I did, but wasn't about to get into it with her. I peeled off half the ham and took a huge bite. What's the rush? If they haven't come here yet, maybe they won't come at all. Maybe. Sarah took a blue phone from her back pocket and held it up. But we can't keep Kevin tied up forever. He's already had six different people try to get a hold of him. The same number calling once an hour now. I swallowed the ham and washed it down with water. Probably just his work. We don't know that. Maybe he told someone about us. How about when his friends stop by to check on him? How do we handle that? Well, I'm guessing he doesn't have many of those. Doesn't seem very sociable. Joe, enough of this, Sarah said, her spite so strong I had to look. Everything's a goddamn game to you. Then you go fucking ask him. You forget you can hear his thoughts? She just stood there, so I kept going. Ask him who he told. Ask him who the fuck keeps calling. Ask him if we should run and hide. Sarah turned her back on me and returned to the dining room table. Do what you want, Joe, but Danny and I aren't staying. I bit off another chunk of ham, chewed it while thinking of what to say. I'm sorry. She ignored me, set Kevin's phone on the table and disappeared back into hers. The thought of turning ourselves in and begging for mercy slipped from her mind, but I ignored it, not ready to get into that argument. I left the ham on the counter and grabbed Kevin's phone. Fine, I'll do it. I'll have him record a new message on his outgoing, say he's taking off a few personal days to recharge. What makes you think he'll do it? I limped into the living room. Danny, I need to borrow you. Bring the knife. Why? Becky said all concerned. Kevin's tied up. Seeing something sharp has a way of convincing people to do what you want. Danny paused the game and picked Wayne's knife off the table, carried it like he might bury it in someone's skull, his thumb gliding up and down the last inch of handle. I pointed at him. Tell me you're not going to tell the truth if he's the one asking. Becky stayed on the couch and shook her head. I guess. When we got halfway down the hallway, I asked Danny, when was the last time you checked on him? When you told me to. You haven't seen him since last night? No. During your nap, you kept shouting for me to shut him up. I didn't remember doing that at all, but let it slide. I pushed the button below the painting, and, loud so Kevin could hear me, I said, Back away from the door. I pulled it open, ready for him to come rushing out. Kevin didn't seem the hero type, but people are prone to panic and do dumb shit when cornered. Still behind me, Danny said, It's okay, Joe. He's not coming. Kevin took up the entire bed, hands behind his back, lying on his side. I said, wake up. We have some questions. He didn't say anything, so I called him an asshole and shook his arm, a cold piece of unmoving flesh. I said, 
Oh, shit. And looked for a heartbeat. He's dead. Can I go finish my game? Surprised he didn't care, I told Danny to hold on. What did he look like when you came in here? Danny took up the doorway, looked right at me. All mad and red. What was he making all the noise over? For us to let him go. Could barely breathe. I wanted to let Danny return to his game, but had to ask. How did you get him quiet? Danny's eyes pierced through any shield I might have up. He was going to get us busted. I tried to keep my thought curious and not an attack. What did you do? Danny's eyes didn't leave mine. Pushed him on the bed. Pinched his nose. On purpose? You killed him? To prove he'd been paying attention, Danny thought, It was him or us. Holy shit, Danny. I'm sorry I told you to come in. He shook his head. We tell Sarah it was an accident. I made a boo-boo. I didn't have time to feel sick because I just realized Becky was behind him in the hallway. She turned tail and said, That's it. I'm out of here. <laughs>